Up at my lake cottage, I have a neighbor who will text me if there's something he thinks I need to know. For example, that one time when I had my 16-foot aluminum fishing boat with a 9.9 horsepower outboard that I had a number of years ago, tied too close and too tight to the pier, and it kind of got stuck, and when it rained heavily and the boat couldn't rise with the rising water, and the lake spilled over the edge of the boat, and it filled up, and then it sank that time? Yeah, he texted me. Three words. Your boat sank. And another time, this was more recently, just two years ago, when we had a tremendous amount of rain in late February, I think it was, about six inches in three days, combined with the melting snowpack that added another couple of inches. So much so that not only was my lakefront area covered with water, way past the beach area and the fire circle and all the way to the edge of my shed, which is about 20 yards from the normal water's edge, and my pier, which is in three 10-foot long by three-foot wide sections, floated up and off the pier posts, he texted me, your pier is floating away. When I got that message, I hurried up to the lake, the level of the water, the amount of water, and how far it had come up onto what is normally dry ground was unbelievable. And sure enough, there were my pier sections floating around. I had brought along some rubber boots that belonged to my son, Rainer, the kind that go up to your knees almost. It was a good thing because the water was way too cold to go into without some kind of protection. Two of the three pier sections, which are made of wood and, like I said, are about 10 feet long, were floating within easy reach. But the last one was further out and was really starting to drift away. I waded out as far as I could in my rubber boots, but I couldn't reach that section of my pier. So I came back out of the water and I got a, a long stick, probably five or six feet long, a branch, and I waded out again, reaching the stick toward the third and last section of the pier, as I reached out, I was close, but not close enough. I looked down at my feet and edged a little further and a little further out until the ice-cold water was within an inch or less of spilling over the tops of my boots. And then I leaned over as far as I could lean my long, my long body and my long arms, as far as I could reach without falling over into the water, which would have been an even worse problem. And I stretched as far as I could, and I could just barely, barely reach the floating pier with the very end of my stick. And gently, gently, I nudged the pier section closer to me until I could finally reach it with my hand. All the while, the frigid water lapped at the top edge of my boats, my boots, and I felt like if I took one more step or even one more ripple of water, and the whole lake was going to come flooding into my boots and grab me from the knees down with its icy grip. Slowly, slowly, I backed up until the last of the three pier sections was alongside the other two sections, half in and half out of the water, and then I dragged each section to higher ground and stacked them one on top of another, up above the shed where it was dry, or at least only damp. That was in February, and then later in the spring, in May, for my birthday, our German exchange student gave me a birthday gift. He had given Lois a wireless cell phone charger for her birthday, so I was eager to see what he had gotten for me. I opened the gift wrap package, and there was something called a 
quick dam flood barrier. The way it works is this. You get it out of its plastic bag, and when the floodwaters come, you put it down on the ground or on the floor, and it has a chemical reaction to the water, and it fills up with a kind of heavy gel which expands in a plastic tube to block the water. No sandbags needed. I looked at the package. He was pretty excited. Next time you have a flood like you had at the lake this winter, he said, you can use this. I thanked him, but I didn't mention that a four-foot-long flood guard was hardly going to hold back the rapidly rising waters of our 739-acre chain of lakes from climbing over my 40-foot waterfront. No, dry land was only going to return once the excess water had made its way through the whole watershed and the flood waters had receded. You can't hold back the water in a situation like that. You just hope that you can stand at the edge of it. Or if you can't, you just hope that your boots are high enough and your arms are long enough and your tree branch reaches far enough and your pier section is still close enough. You can't hold the water back. In times like that, dry ground is nowhere to be found. But in the scripture story for today, dry land, dry ground is found right in the middle of the river, right in the middle of the rising waters. The Jordan River is deep and wide, and in that season is even prone to flood its banks, according to the scripture. However, in this story, the water is held back so that the people of Israel can cross over into the promised land. There's no quick damn flood barrier, but the water is held back and dry ground is offered up. In today's text, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbolic representation of God's presence, and the repository of the stone tablets with the Ten Commitments written on them is carried by the priests to the water's edge. The priests carry the Ark of the Covenant toward the river, this river that has overflowed its banks, And when those priests put the soles of their feet into the water at that river's edge, the water stops flowing. And it makes a mound or a heap upstream. And then there in the middle of the riverbed, the priests stand with the Ark of the Covenant while all the people cross over on dry ground. Now, of course, this kind of parting of the water story sounds familiar, right? You remember the story of the people of Israel fleeing from Egypt, pursued by chariots carrying the armies of the Pharaoh, and how the people of Israel were nearly trapped between the edge of the Red Sea and their pursuers. And you remember how Moses lifted his staff and parted the sea, and the people crossed over on dry ground, and the waters formed a wall on their left and on their right. And how their pursuers, the Egyptian armies, were drowned when the water returned to its regular depths once the Israelites were safely across. So there are two stories of the people of Israel walking through water on dry ground. That story and this one. One at the beginning of the Exodus story and one at the end. And in both cases, you might also notice that there's a symbol of God's presence and authority. The staff that Moses carries in the first story and the Ark of the Covenant in the second story. Humans take action, wave a staff, carry the Ark, but God provides the dry ground. Are these stories the bookends of the Exodus? Do the waters symbolize barriers or at least markers between what was and what is and what will be? 
Does the crossing over mean more than just a physical crossing over? Does the dry ground symbolize the blessing and care of God? Yes and yes and yes and yes are the answers to those questions. The stories are bookends. The waters do serve as markers between one chapter of their collective experience and the next. The crossing over is spiritual and emotional and historical and relational, not just physical. And the dry ground does symbolize the care and favor of God. And I want to talk more about that dry ground and what it means. But first I want to point out something else. That at the Red Sea, when the waters part so they can cross over on dry ground, the people are running away. But by the time they come to the Jordan River and cross over there on dry ground, they are moving toward. The story has changed from running away to moving toward. At the Red Sea, they are in a panic. At the Jordan River, they are filled with anticipation. At the Red Sea, they need to be rescued. At the Jordan River, they are moving toward a promise. One crossing over is fearful, and the other is hopeful. But understand this as well. Both crossings are crossings into the unknown. Both the escape from Egypt and the entry into the promised land are ventures into the unknown. The two stories feel different because in one case, the armies they are fleeing are breathing down their necks. And in the other, the armies they will soon face are not yet in view. But in both cases, the dry ground is only a path through the immediate danger, a path through the immediate roadblock, those waters that stand between them and what is next for them. And so the dry ground isn't a highway to heaven. It's a means to walk through the deep, waters that are right there, right in front of them, to get past the barrier. The dry ground is what they need right then. It's the bridge they need right then. As they approach the flooded river, the water could sweep them away, but it won't because they are walking on God's dry ground. They are crossing over on dry ground. Right now, many of us are feeling overwhelmed, flooded with emotions, with dangers, visible and invisible. The waters that rise around us, that seem to block us from where we would like to go, are waters of division and anger and mistrust and judgment and possible danger to our health and even our very lives. Some of us are flooded with dread some with grief, some with fear, some with outrage. As if the pandemic weren't enough, this coming week with election day on Tuesday will be especially difficult. We might well be flooded, swamped with intense emotions because this election is packed with intense emotions and with a sense that we are in a very, very high stakes moment. And yet I'd ask you to be aware that whatever fear you have of your candidates losing and the other side winning and how that will threaten our future, maybe even destroy it, whatever feelings you have, there are people on the other side of the aisle who have equally intense feelings of dread and fear and mistrust. The waters are rising for all of us. And it's felt like for too long there's been almost no common ground. 
And therefore it seems no dry ground on which to walk, on which to cross over. But one way or another, we are going to cross over. We are going to cross over into the next chapter of what will be. How will we get from here to there? Will we, will we be running away or moving toward? Will we be damp with fear or refreshed with hope? Is there dry ground on which we can walk, on which we can cross over? Or will the chilly Jordan fill our boots, pull us under, sweep us away? As you get ready to move into this momentous week, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what is dry ground under your feet. When the waters rise, how will you cross over? When you think the ground is uncertain, what makes it solid? Because you have to cross over. We have to cross over to whatever is next. You can't stand there on the bank with your toes at the water's edge. You have to cross over. The next chapter awaits. How will you find your way? What will be dry ground for you? What can you count on to provide safe footing? What will allow you to move easily rather than sluggishly? What's the rock on which you stand? What will be dry ground for you? Here are some ideas about that. I think dry ground is what you stand on when you have clarity about your own values. And dry ground is a commitment to the integrity of those values. Our dry ground is the solid willingness to engage rather than judge. Dry ground can be a prayer or meditation or reflection practice in your life. Dry ground is the firm footing you have when you are committed to acting with intention and not just waiting for something to happen to you. Dry ground is the solid place you stand on and the solid ground you offer to others when you're using your gifts and your resources for the good. Dry ground, that firm ground under your feet, is what you have when you have a faithful and compassionate community you can trust. Dry ground is the path on which you walk when you are committed to being sure that you're not living in an echo chamber. Our dry ground is the solid perspective and the compassionate understanding that most hate starts as fear. Dry ground is the ground you can count on because you have nurtured close and honest relationships. Dry ground is the ground you stand on when you remember and believe in the power of love and forgiveness. Dry ground is the solid and secure place that allows you to have the courage to pursue justice, even at cost to yourself, because when something happens that is unfair, you don't lose your footing. Dry ground is found in a solid commitment to continuing to learn and to grow. 
Dry ground is believing in and being committed to the good of a nation and not just the good of a faction. Dry ground is the solid, rich, nurturing soil of the natural world warmed by the sun, right? Dry ground is that firm faith in Christ and his gospel. Dry ground is whatever comes to mind when you ask yourself the question, what can I stand on? What is solid in my life? What is solid under my feet? Even as the waters rise, what is solid in my life? What is solid under my feet? Now is the time to get in touch with that dry ground, that solid surface underfoot, so that you are ready to cross over. You don't have to hold back the waters. That's God's work to do. You just have to be ready to walk on, to cross over, ready to trust and move, and to do so not because you're fleeing something, but because you are reaching for something, reaching for a promise, reaching for hope, reaching for newness of life. Keep walking, keep walking. Your home is over Jordan. Keep walking, keep walking. There will be dry ground under your feet. Keep walking, keep walking. Your hope, your home is still ahead of you. Keep walking, keep walking. The time to cross over is at hand. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.